Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and I host this podcast, but it's not quite as spiffy as yours. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I'm sorta a revolutionary. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. With the cast of tonight's movie, I'm ready to get in. Wow. Get to in. It. Oh my god. Who says that? No. Oh my god. No, that's pretty good. That's actually pretty yeah, good. I mean, it's the same cast. I mean, uh, very yeah, similar yeah. cast. Yeah, very similar yeah. cast to get out. That's right. All right. Well, we are of course alluding to the fact that today on the Slash Filmcast, we're going to be reviewing Judas and the Black Messiah with writer and film critic Valerie Complex. Really excited about that conversation. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Um, before I get to our review, though, uh, we want to talk about some film news that's going on. Um, we also got a really significant email that we want to get to. Um, so there's, there's a lot to get to today. There's a lot to get to today. I, I think there's one, there's one topic, though. News, though. Yeah. yeah, there's one topic yeah. that kind of hovers above or above everything, demands to be commented on, speculated we, we really about. We need to say something about it, yes. <laughs> and, and, and what is that? What is that, Jeff? Face off. Face Sequel to the most off. important movie ever made. Face <laughs> off. I'm doing the hand gesture. You can't see it over audio, but I'm, I'm doing face waterfalls to myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Paramount Pictures has chosen Adam Wingard to direct a reimagining of the 1997 John Woo action thriller Face Off, which, as we all know, starred John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Yeah, it did. Uh, face Off, in my opinion, is, is one of my favorite films of all time. Yes. Yeah, we we I've devoted seen, several hours just to record a commentary <laughs> about that thing. Yes, yeah. I, I've seen Face Off more times than any other film in my entire life. So is that true? Uh, it's up yes. there. Yeah, it's true. Wow. Yeah, like over ten. I think over twelve, fifteen times. So I'm, I'm, it's it's up there. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, Adam Wingard, the director of Your Next movie, I really liked. Uh, the Guest. And he also did some other movies that I wasn't as big of a fan of. He but, did a lot of uh, good movies and a lot of bad ones. So, yeah. uh, and his most recent movie is Godzilla versus Kong. So we're going to see how Basically good that face is. Off. Basically, face off. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I, I got to say, uh, I don't know how I feel about this, guys. Well, no, no. My, so th th there was drama, right? Let's talk about the drama because what happened was. What had happened was they announced this thing in the morning, right? It's like, oh, yeah, Adam Wingard is doing a face-off remake. And everyone's like, yeah, reboot. The they were fuck? saying reboot. What? Yeah. Reimagining? I don't want any of this shit. And then <laughs> early evening, I believe Adam Wingard goes to Instagram. It's like, no, 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 guys. It's a direct sequel with it's the same Expanding cast. the face-off universe. And that is that is when, yeah, it certainly piqued my interest. And uh, I, I did a complete 180 on this project. Well, I, 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 you know, I had a similar journey, Devendra. You know, when I first heard this news, uh, I was filled with, I think the technical term is blinding rage. Yeah. <laughs> no, I uh -huh. mean, I don't. I'm not. I don't actually get that upset. But it's like you know, Face Off is one of those movies that is so weird, uh -huh. right? That it's only could have been made at that time with yep. those actors. Yep. You know, and it just feels like such a production, like such a specific moment in time. It would it's be, you a, know, it's a formula of madness. Like it is just like, how did that movie get made? Like, that's a question I ask all the time. Right. There's other movies that fall into this category. Like, think about like, I would say Donnie Darko would be another movie. Like, imagine like remaking Donnie Darko, like. You, you would groan if you heard that was going to happen. Like, why would I mean, they, they remake they did, Donnie they did Darko? A, they did a sequel and it, it was not good. 
But it's just it's just like you know it's so it's such a weird singular movie. Uh, any remake would would inevitably be doomed for failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so yeah. Uh, also, by the way, like Adam Wingard directed Blair Witch, the 2016 remake of the which was awful uh, of the yeah. Blair Witch project, which I was just like. Uh, uh, it it was not great. I don't think it was awful. It, it was bad. It was bad. It was not great. It was but, bad. But it's just like <laughs> it was you've bad. already you've already gone at one of the most memorable franchises of the nineties, sure. uh, and and like missed and failed. And this like, dude did the remake of Death Note, which is one of the biggest anime and manga series ever. You know, in in the past decade, and screwed it up completely. So. He, he's not done so great with adaptations recently. Yeah, so it just feels like it's tempting fate. Now, I think Adam Wingard is enormously talented. I actually like, I like more of his films that I dislike, but I'm really nervous about this one, guys. I don't, um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love Face Off so much, and I'm just like, okay, we'll always have Face Off, but now you're, you, you know, you come at the king, you best not miss, and it's like, I don't know, like his track record is not that great when it comes to these remakes, right? So yeah. these remake adaptations, so I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Well, I know one thing that has to happen. I, I wish I had thought of this, but this is from my friend Aram uh, on Twitter, uh, who responded to me and said that the uh, the title, you know how the title is face and then a slash and then off? Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. title should be face two slashes off. <laughs> is That's brilliant, right? That's so good. That'd be great. I remember when we did our commentary, Devendra, um, we did the, a, a kind of movie commentary of Face Off to benefit uh, charity along with Griffin Newman from Blank Check Podcast. And one of the things that I learned in doing research for that commentary was uh, there was a lot of conflict over uh, wh- whether or not the title of Face Off should have a slash in it. Um, because like, there was a lot of debate about like, we can't have a slash. Like we can't, we literally can't physically put slashes on marquees because they don't have the actual like font, you know, the, the letter slash. We don't have the technology for this. We don't have the technology to put slashes on the marquees. And, uh, but, but one of the writers was like, we have to have the slash because if you don't have the slash, people will think this is a hockey movie. (laughs) And, 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 uh, they, they were right. They're right. Okay, guys, here's a question about Face Off that's very, very important. Okay. Who do you think gives a better performance in that film? Mm. Nicolas Cage or John Travolta? Uh, it, it's not hard for me to say Nicolas Cage. I, I think Cage. I, I think Cage. I, I, really? I, I think it's very rare for Travolta to give a good performance. Like, that's me. <laughs> wow. I'm not a big fan of him. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, you, you, who, you are who, much more conflicting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm who's still confl- working well today? Like that's my question. You know, oh, who who is making debatable. cool, interesting movies <laughs> and who's making direct to DVD garbage? I mean, uh, I, I literally don't know who you're referring to. Yeah, you know, you have in to that be formulation. A little more specific. <laughs> I mean, I just saw John Travolta in a Super Bowl ad, Devendra. So yeah. you know, yeah, he's I, yeah. Uh, killing it. Yeah, sans toupee. Yeah, I like that he's embraced the baldness finally. Our, yeah. our long national nightmare is over. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's tough. It's tough because on the one hand, Nicolas Cage really brings the gravitas to this movie, right? Like his uh, his performance anchors the movie in this kind of heartbreak and, and angst. On the other hand, you got to love an over-the-top John Travolta. But on the third hand, <laughs> John Travolta is only over the top because he's 
pretending to be Nicolas Cage. Cage. Exactly. Right. Like he does a good Nicolas Cage. Yeah. I, I agree. So it's yeah. like Nicolas Cage's performance incepted John Travolta's performance. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So and yep. therefore, by the by the transitive property of acting. Yeah. That's just you mad. have to award it to, to Nicolas Cage. And I that's clearly can't have yep. the glass in front of me. It's two Cage performances. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Jeff, you psyched for this? Or are you as nervous for I this do as think I am? This, I do think this has the potential of being really fun. Uh, I also think this has the potential of being a complete waste of everyone's time. Most and yeah. Mostly because of Adam Wingard. And like he's done good stuff. The guest has been great. But I think as he's grown in uh, stature, you know, and picked up these high profile remakes, I'm starting to get worried. I let's uh, honestly, let's uh, let's just see how the Godzilla versus Kong shapes up, okay, Devinger? Yeah, before that last we one like sure, uh, sure. Well, he did didn't really direct well. that. He didn't direct know, that I one. Know. He didn't direct that one. So I have no faith in that franchise. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so, I mean, it's yeah. not. I haven't really enjoyed that those Kong movie. Films. Was good. The Kong yeah, it was movie was right. good. It's not bad. It, was it, fun. it had its moments. It had its moments. yeah. It, moments. it was like okay. different. It, it it didn't. It was it was good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll see. I am very very nervous about it, but. It's definitely a movie we're going to review. So, okay. Uh, gentlemen. Gentlemen. Last week, uh, I I think it was last week or a couple weeks ago, I played the latest work from Noah Ross uh, in which he remixed uh, some Jeff's singing in order to create a new emails bag, e- email bag uh, sp- uh, bumper. Sounds a little bit like this. Emails. Really sh- I really shouldn't have been so morose in the vocalization. It, it, it colors the entire experience. You just kept repeating yourself, too. It's really weird. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why you would do that. I received this email from Thomas Medina uh, from Australia. Now, you may recall that Thomas Medina took Noah Ross's weekly plugs music and remixed that as well. Wow. Thomas Medina is this, writes Is this in, chapter two of the Ross Medina uh, collab? Thomas Medina writes to slashfilmcast.com. Dear Slash Filmcast, Thomas Medina here, creator of the groundbreaking remix of your weekly plugs theme. (laughs) Upon hearing the new musical interlude for your mailbag segment, I have been struck again by what can only be referred to as divine inspiration. (laughs) The creator of this fresh bumper, Noah Ross, is clearly a musical maestro and a talented composer of jingles. He clearly has many skills and is probably quite handsome. All that my humble self has to contribute, on the other hand, is a rudimentary knowledge of waveform editing and a quiet Saturday morning at my computer. However, conversely, it must be said that what I have made here is nothing short of a masterpiece. To clarify, I am saying that it is a masterpiece to alleviate you of that burden. You can say whatever you like. Much love, your Australian fan, Thomas Medina. P.S. Every time you say my name on the show, I feel quite suddenly as if I may vomit in a good way. It's hard to explain. End quote. (laughs) So here is Thomas Medina's remix of Noah Ross's email bag music. Here we go. It's time for the main event, the Thunderdome. 
Thunderdome. Dave, we need a listener mail bumper. Extemporize. I'm coming to you from inside the mailbag. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Theoretically, there's a bag of emails. This comes in from Noah Ross and Thomas Medina, both of whom did an awesome job. Both of whom did an awesome job. So many questions to get to. We will not stop this episode until we've answered all of them. I mean, we'll probably answer like six of them is my guess. We'll cut, we might we'll cut it down. It's <laughs> pretty good. All right, the bumper is over now. The reason that this is genius is, <laughs> is twofold. One, he name checks himself in it, which is pretty great. <laughs> and two, he references the previous remix. He pulled a Mr. Worldwide over here. Like, yeah, yeah it's great. I, I, let me just say, I have no idea what that was, but <laughs> but I'm still going to use it. Oh, yeah. You know, I I don't know what could have driven a mind to create that, but... Genius uh, and inspiration. I mean, something. It's it's something. So thank you to Noah Ross and Thomas thank Medina. I, yes, I'm curious, truly. like, how Noah Ross feels about this. Like, does Noah feel like, man, this is this guy, like, Thomas Medina is showing up and trying to upstage me, you know? But but I hope Noah Ross doesn't feel that way. Oh. And and I think he doesn't, mostly because of the fact that whenever Noah sends us his, his uh, bumper music, he usually says, do whatever you want with this or don't do anything I don't care. Um, so, you know. Just don't let Medina the... get his grubby paws on him. That's what he's... <laughs> this is the free spirit of artistic expression. You know, this is remix culture. This is where we're at. Love it. All right. So I did play the email bumper. That means we got to read an email. That's the rule. This one comes in from Sue Brunning. This is an extraordinary email, gentlemen. Sue Brunning writes in the slash filmcastgmail.com, quote, I'm writing from snowy London in the United Kingdom, where I have listened to your review of The Dig. There was no way I wasn't going to write in afterwards as a bit of context, which is what archaeologists do. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and have been listening for the better part of a decade. You've accompanied me to academic conferences on epic driving holidays across the U.S., and you helped keep me sane during a seven-month-long furlough from my job during the first COVID lockdown in the U.K. I really appreciated your check-ins, and I found that your discussions were the only ones I could bear to listen to in my podcast feed at a time when I felt like my grip on reality, my identity, my purpose in life had started to fade into gray. I felt like that because my job really does define me. I am the curator who looks after the Sutton Hoo ship burial at the British Museum. What? What? The thought, the thought that I might lose the immense privilege due to something beyond my control was difficult, to say the least. And while museums like cinemas remain closed and the, uh, the future uncertain, I'm back at work from my kitchen table and taking each day as it comes. I never imagined that I'd see my two great loves, Sutton Hoo and movies, united. Nor that my favorite podcast would choose to review this quiet, very British film about digging up old things, much less enjoy it so much. I can't explain how surreal it was to hear you guys saying the words Sutton Who and doing the very well-trodden who joke. Sutton who? Sorry you didn't get there with that. Uh, sorry you didn't get there first with that one, Jeff Canada. It was especially exciting because I played a small hand in the film. The British Museum has a massive archive relating to Sutton Who including hundreds of photographs and the journals of the excavators. Our archivists and I were able to help with the, uh, help the production designer, art department, and prop makers in researching the physical appearance of the excavation and artifacts and Ray Fiennes in researching his character, Basil Brown. So I'm hoping I can add an extra layer uh, to your enjoyment of the film. The recreation of the excavation, how the ship looks, the artifacts in the ground are extremely authentic. 
I was lucky enough to visit the set, and seeing the famous ship imprint in the ground was like I'd stepped out of a time machine. I was staggered by the care that the art department went to, to re replicating even the tiniest detail, like one of the artifacts is shown being found upside down in the ground as it was in life, even though the most decorative part is on the top. Surely another filmmaker would have shown it the glitzy way up. These scenes are just like the tableau in the archive photographs, and while most people will not notice these things, I noticed them all, and I was overcome with emotion. I could see right there how painstakingly the team had deployed all the materials and information I had shared with them, and I appreciated it so much. You're right that Sutton Hoo is quite a big deal in the UK, even bigger since The Dig was released. I've been overwhelmed with press since Christmas, and a blog I wrote for the British Museum's website actually crashed for a while under the strain of traffic. If you're at all curious to know more about the artifacts found at Sutton Hoo, I hope you might enjoy these videos I made as part of the museum's Curator Corner series on YouTube. They're not dusty and dry, I promise. I'm not that kind of curator. I hope you might be inspired to visit the museum one day when we're allowed to do nice things again and see these wonderful things for yourselves. As a token of my appreciation, I've just made a small donation to the podcast. I wish I could become a money horse on the Patreon, and I promise I will when things are more stable. Boom goes Yes! Dynamite. Yes! <laughs> Thank you, guys, uh. and stay safe till better times. What a lovely email. Delightful. Pretty good. And I should point out, by the way, so she links to a few videos. These videos are freaking viral, guys. Like, <laughs> the first video she links to, uh, entitled Hands On with a Sutton Who Sword, has 723,000 or 732,000 views on YouTube. Um, so, uh, basically, Sue Brunning is a huge deal. And Sue, we you're are awesome. Thank incredibly you. honored that I have so many questions for her we are one degree connected to sutton who amazing yes. yeah yeah so cool. it's 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 an honor that someone of sue brunning's stature and caliber listens to the podcast and we'll link to these videos that she mentions uh in the show notes uh jeff canada what are some of your questions maybe we can get her to write us again. most of them i have to do with the scenes of desperately trying to tarp during the rain like, <laughs> <laughs> explain to me what the tarping would do at that point oh it seems like it's useless and futile and it gave me great anxiety to watch but i would love to hear her you know I, it sounds like she loved the movie on a, a very emotional level but I, i'd love to get her like in detail review of the film uh, being so close to that stuff. I mean, I, I wonder if there are any things that they did incorrectly that we now know yeah. by virtue of hindsight, because it's been, you know, so many decades of technological advancement since then. And, and I'm sure those processes have all been refined as, you know, every field gets refined over time. I, I mean, I have so many questions. How cool. Thank you, Sue. You're the best. It's always been incredible to me whenever things can kind of come full circle. Like we've gotten so many emails from people. For instance, uh, one of the people who worked on the costumes in Hamilton uh, said he did so while listening to this podcast. And I just always thought that was incredible. You know, the fact is, that like, yeah. you know, I've in, I'm obviously enjoyed Hamilton. I put in my top 10 of 2020 um, films. And that, like, this podcast in some way helped to, like, inform the creation of some tiny component of Hamilton. We were it's actually just, yeah. in Hamilton. That's, uh, that's what that means. <laughs> yeah, that means that we, we, were there. we have part ownership of Hamilton. 
I think is we the... we deserve a at least thirty percent stake of the seventy million dollars <laughs> that Lin Manuel yeah. Miranda was paid for Hamilton. I think yeah. is where we're coming at. I this think from? I think we just won a Tony Award. <laughs> uh, well, th- it's it's amazing when we can kind of uh, be part of people's lives who make the things that we love. So, Indeed. thanks to Sue for writing in. Thanks to all the people who have written over the years who have shared stories like that. It really is a delight. It's humbling. It's gratifying. Um, we're grateful to be part of your lives. Think of all the people that are just too busy to email. You know? Yeah, we could have been present at every major thing that is necessary in the world yeah, you know yeah i mean maybe like riz ahmed was just too busy to write in yeah you know before he went in he did sound a metal you know i'm sure yeah hey i want to jump in here and tell you about our newest sponsor ip vanish so what is ip vanish well ip vanish is a virtual private network a vpn for short a vpn is a super important tool that helps you safely browse the internet you can use a VPN on your computer, on your tablet, on your phone, even things like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. When you use a VPN, all your data is encrypted. What you're reading, what you're searching, what you're watching, whatever it is you're doing. And IP Vanish is just $3.49 a month. For just $3.49 a month or $27.99 a year, you can help protect your online privacy and security. So here's everything you get with IP Vanish. Anonymous IP addresses. That means your personal IP address can't be tracked by anyone on the web. You can circumvent any online censorship. IP Vanish has more than 1,500 servers in over 70 locations. And you get protection when using public Wi-Fi. Remember, with IP Vanish, all your data is encrypted, so no one can snoop on what you're doing. So go to ipvanish.com filmcast Claim your 65% savings. Wow. They have plans starting at just $3.49 a month or $27.99 a year. And this is the time to sign up. With our discount and their current promotional offerings, you can get a VPN for 65% off their usual offering. IP Vanish is the best of the best, even rated 4.7 out of 5 on Trustpilot. And that's with more than 6,000 reviews. Show these guys some love. Remember, it's ipvanish.com slash filmcast to get the deal and start protecting yourself online. All right, let's move on to what we've been watching this week. Um, so this week, uh, I want to recommend a sitcom that I started watching called AP Bio. Have you guys seen AP Bio? I think, um, Devendra, maybe you mentioned yeah, it. I don't yeah. know what we've been I'm watching. Patton it. Oswald. It's, uh, it's good. Yeah. yeah, good crap. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I thought this uh, this show is really good. I heard it on the Extra Hot Great podcast. Um, Extra Hot Great podcast, which, by the way, I just want to say, like, uh, I-, I-, I love the Extra Hot Great podcast. They're a huge inspiration. You should check them out. Um, Devendra and I have been guests on the on the podcast before, and also uh, I have hosted a podcast with one of the co-hosts on the podcast. Um, we kind of uh, bar- we kind of borrow inspiration from each other, you know. <laughs> Uh, they have yeah. this site, like, the, the, okay, so on this podcast, Extra Hot Great, which you, you can find at extrahotgreat.com, awesome TV podcast, they, um, at the beginning of each episode, they do, like, a review of a um, TV show that's out that week, and sometimes they would dive into spoilers, and I I wrote uh, the one of the hosts of the show, Tara, I said, hey, Tara, um, can you tell us whether we should watch the show before you like dive into the spoilers for the show? And now they do this thing called the Chen Check-In, 
where they say, should you watch the show before they talk about the show? Which I'm on, like, I'm honored to have a part of the show named after me. Um, similarly, we have borrowed elements of their show, like the opening segment where uh, we do a little goofy little sign on, and also the weekly plugs. Um, we uh, we you know we borrowed those uh, from their show, and uh, our shows are kind of inspiring each other. That's nice. I mean, I haven't called those things the extra hot great weekly plugs because I thought that'd be a little weird. But uh, make no mistake, they are a huge part of it. So anyway. Podcasts can inspire each other. It's wonderful when it happens. Uh, they mentioned they have a segment on the show called The Canon where they induct something into the canon of like greatest TV episodes of all time. And one of the canon entries was AP Bio, uh, episode two of season one. And I watched the show and it's a, it's a delight. It's very it's yeah. misanthropic. Uh, it's got Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia basically playing the same character as he does in that show, except with a little more heart. But what's great about AP Bio is it has a, a a large set of really talented young actors who play these high school students, and they, each of them has a very memorable look. Like it's they're all very distinct in terms of their appearance, and uh, they're all great. They're all very funny. So uh, I think the show is a delight, and I would recommend it if you're looking for something to lift your spirits during these challenging times. Uh, I watched it on Peacock. You can watch <laughs> the entire thing on Peacock for free. I, I really like the way you say Peacock. Yeah. Peacock. Me too. It's very intense. You're really, really, <laughs> really, really digging into that one. Yeah, I watched it on Peacock. <laughs> Guys, just accenting the end right there. Is there anything <laughs> yeah. wrong with me saying Peacock the way I say it? <laughs> no. No, that's the way it's meant to be said. <laughs> um, okay. Well, anyway, AP Bio, that's something I've been watching uh Devinder Hardware, you've also been watching something on streaming as well right sure just catching up on season one of the boys just because so many people have been telling me you know it, it it's really fun and they actually really enjoyed season two um i kind of gave up around episode three or four initially just because i think um maybe the first episode was a great introduction and i feel like it started getting kind of meandery and uh i could tell it was just doing like a very sarcastic send-up of superhero stuff I think towards the middle of season one and especially towards the end too, it really starts to build out that universe better. And it seems like it's more, it gets to be more than just like smug. um, Oh, we're just doing anti DC or anti Marvel tropes, you know? Um, So I think it, uh, yeah, I'm glad I caught up. I'm looking forward to season two because a lot of people have told me like it is even, even better. So I think I need, just needed a break from superhero stuff because the boys came out you know, amid the end of the MCU and so many other superhero things. So it was nice to have some space away from it and nice to be able to just look at it as its own thing. And I'm just digging it. Yeah, uh, I really have enjoyed the show. I thought it really came into its own in season two, especially um, enjoyed season one as well. And it's just refreshing to have an incredibly acid, cynical take on... Uh, the idea of of superheroes, right? And and but it's sort also of, like incisive too. It's not just cynical for the sake of being snarky. I think like it does start to be more interesting than those early I, episodes. I, I yeah. mean, let me let me ask this real question: Is when we watch MCU movies, right? Right. Mm-hmm. The sense we get is if people were imbued with superpowers, they would be good. They would use it for good. Mm-hmm. What the boys asks if what if not? What if? Uh, becoming a superhero made you an asshole because you could do anything you wanted without any uh, sort of consequences. There's no extent. way we could know what it would be like to have a mm. person with power have 
no consequences. <laughs> How would we really possibly fit. know that? Yeah, I mean, it's a Something good question. Something for the though. comics. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I mean... There's no way we could understand how venal and craven uh, and absolutely abhorrent yeah. that would make person, let, Let's say the person who was, I don't know, the most powerful person on the planet. Wrapped <laughs> in the American flag, you'd say? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah, a yeah, symbol, yeah. you know, a symbol for a lot of people, uh, even considered perhaps a savior to a lot of people. Mm. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh, with you uh-huh. know, it has an iconic uh, color, yeah, very mythology, iconic color. <laughs> yeah. mythology built up around them. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and then, the, but then that person has like no consequences for any bad behavior that they may get engage in. That just seems so. It's so far fetched, really. Is right, right? <sighs> I didn't even have the will to finish, day in, Dave. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I it's just, good. We could just walk away from it. It's fine. I just can't. I just lost my will to even do the bit anymore. Yeah, you just look. Yeah, you yeah. took a glance at the news, and you were like, "Oh, yeah." Uh, turns out it, it was totally right. Um, I, I'm glad you're. But enough you, Dave. about Janet Yellen, guys. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. That doesn't even make any sense. No, though, if it, so enough enough about Pete Buttigieg <laughs> would have been funnier because yeah. about Pete he, he's got nothing. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you're digging the show, Dave. I, I do want to say I also caught up on Doom Patrol over the last couple of months, too. And I think I like that show better as a send up of superhero stuff. It is it's funny and it has more heart, you know, and I like those characters more. But I'm waiting to get access to season three because it's not on HBO Max yet. So, you know, now I'm catching up on the boys. All right. Uh, well, that's The Boys uh, season one. And uh, season two really uh, dives into the mythology a lot more in ways that I think are interesting, Devendra. So looking forward for you to get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Doom Patrol is another show you mentioned on HBO Max, I think, right? And yes. also I mentioned AP Bio on Peacock. Jeff Kanata, <laughs> what have you been watching? Uh, I mentioned it last week, um, uh, talking about the search party on HBO Max. And uh, my wife and I have continued into that show. And I, you know, I, I don't like bringing things up two weeks in a row, but Holy smokes. I <laughs> mentioned I was about halfway through season two of search party. When I meant, when I talked about it last week, I had no idea. I had no idea. I'm sure there's people who've watched that show that heard me talking about it and saying I'm halfway through season two. And they were laughing at me, laughing at what I did not know. And oh man, that show kicks into an entirely different gear in season three. I'm just, I cannot believe it. I cannot believe it. <laughs> it, it is, it, it just, it completely evolves and it does not pull punches. It is, I'm super impressed with Search Party. Man, what a ballsy, like, they go there, man. And everything you think, oh, a show doesn't do that, then they do it. It's it's pretty wild. It, it is it is like somebody said, hey, let's do this kind of wacky, goofy comedy. And then halfway along the way, they went, wait a minute. All of our main characters are fucking awful. <laughs> They're awful. And they yep. need consequences for their actions. And we're going to figure out, we're going to like, all of a sudden, like, turn this show into something all about what may really happen when things go bad in this wacky universe. It is. I, I'm digging this show, man. Digging this show. Search Party. I'm so excited it's gotten uh, greenlighted for another season. So mm-hmm. I'm glad all more right. people are watching it now, especially because it's on HBO. So, yeah, dig it. 
Okay, folks. Well, uh, those are some things we've been watching. We also all watched another movie that we're going to talk about right now. Um, let's dive into it. The movie that we all watched this week uh, that's not our main review is Barb and Star Go to Vistel Del Mar. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they do. I was really excited about this. I'd heard it's like a weird movie. You know, like the comedy is very off kilter. Um, it's also kind of uh, Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo's follow up to Bridesmaids in a way. And it's been 10 years, right? Or yeah. over 10 years since Bridesmaids. So, yeah. Loved Bridesmaids. I think these are two really funny ladies. And I was really excited to dive in. This is a movie that's available for rent on video on demand for around uh Twenty dollars is how much yeah. I paid to rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, it's gotten really good reviews. Divinder Hardwar. Uh, let's talk about the movie, and then I think we might have a little bit of a spoiler section. But let's sure, talk about sure. the movie overall before we get to spoilers. Yeah, I mean, how what, do you, you describe? You how do you describe one of the best movies ever made? You know, just truly. <laughs> Truly a masterpiece. I, mean, I think you I'm, call you call it face off is really what you call, <laughs> I call it. Face off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love this movie. I, I think this movie is fantastic. Um, I, I think it's been a crappy couple weeks and months for us here in the U.S., but this movie just came out of nowhere um, with this energy that is just so so odd. But I think I pinpointed why I like it so much. And there's a lot in this movie that is not in any of the trailers. Not in any of the marketing. Like this movie is, it is sort of Wayne's World meets Austin Powers with like the insanity of Lonely Island. And it is a combo that I feel like if they had sold it that way, maybe, I don't know. I don't know how well it's doing, but I feel like that would turn on a lot more people. But yeah, this movie is absolutely bonkers. It is, um, it's about these two Midwestern women who are, kind of uh, in a in a deep funk and go to this Florida vacation town and hijinks ensue. But there's also an evil supervillain and there's a plot to like destroy the town. And there's Jamie Dornan, the guy, I think a guy best known for playing psychopaths, you know, like in, in, uh, in the British show, whose name I am forgetting right now. And um, Shades of Grey, the Shades, 50 well, Shades of Grey. No, um, 50 Shades it's the one with Gillian Anderson, right? The one with Gillian Anderson. And also Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, he has a specific the vibe. The Fall is what you're thinking. The Fall. The fall. Yeah. He has a specific vibe he is doing right now. <laughs> and uh, in this movie, he's just... I, I like. I just want to say, I like how Devinder's like, the serial killer movie. And Jeff's yeah. like, Fifty Shades of Grey? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, he, he wasn't a serial killer in that movie, Jeff. He didn't say serial killer. He said psychopath. Psychopath. Oh, sorry. He, did, he sorry. did not say serial killer. Okay. <laughs> he said he's a psychopath. He is oh, a psychopath okay. oh, in Fifty Shades oh, of Grey. Okay. Okay. Kind okay. of true. Kind of Fair true. But Fair I mean, enough. we um, saw that happen in real life, man. Wait, what are you? What are you talking about now? Now, what are we talking about? With the uh, what's his bucket? Uh, he played the he played the guy, the actor. They played the twins in uh, Social Network. Okay. What's his name? Okay. Yes. Oh, what's his name? Okay. Army right? Hammer. Yeah. Army Hammer. Army Hammer is the character from Shade, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey in real life. <laughs> I mean, what? that shit, that he, shit he may life, dude. He may in fact be even worse because uh, he, he did Fifty Shades of Grey guy do cannibalism. I don't remember that, Jeff. <laughs> Army Hammer's even worse, technically. I don't well, know. I guess it's um, uh, yes, but it's the same principle. It's like <laughs> make the women fall in love with you and then do weird shit to them, and then that they think them. they want at the time. For anyway. sure, for sure. But anyway, back to Jamie Dornan. <laughs> I think this guy is immensely talented, and what he is doing in this movie is just completely 
insane. What is happening? <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I just... If you don't I think just, there's a direct line between Army Hammer on. and the dude in Fifty Shades of Grey, you're delusional. It's okay, a direct I, line. It's I the same I, shit. I apologize, Devinder. I apologize. Go. Ahead. Yeah, I agree. Jamie Jordan is the best thing about this movie because I, I wouldn't say he, the best, but he is a revelation in this movie. Yeah, he's showing. He's one. Of, it's like when you show, like you know, there's a guy who like has been in serious roles, and then mm-hmm. he does something really, really wacky, like uh, John Hamm. You know, or like he does a lot of comedy. It's like yeah. Now I'm thinking he's showing, more like Jason Statham in Spy, right? Right, Where he just right. Goes he's showing full, like, hey, I'm yeah. not afraid to make fun of myself, you know? And I really, I always respect an actor who who takes on a role like that and does a great job. Like, he plays it straight, and he's, uh, he is very funny in this movie. I enjoy it. So. Let me just say, like, what makes this movie so great to me. Like, I don't think this movie is for everybody. It is a $20 rental right now, and I think for a lot of people, that is a risk that you probably don't want to make. But when this movie hits Netflix or Hulu or wherever it lands, I think it is... It is genuinely funny. I like these characters, these two like weird Midwestern women that are just like pure normcore that uh, that they've created. Uh, they are super annoying, but also kind of endearing at the same time. This is a movie about like friendship. Ultimately, it's kind of sweet in a weird way. I just I appreciate all that. And then just like the complete non sequiturs out of nowhere. Like this is a movie that just will throw you a random musical sequence several times um, and you never expect it. And it had me on the floor laughing so much. Like I can just, I think about specific moments in this movie and I just like, I almost want to just do what you were doing before Dave and just start laughing inappropriately in the middle of everything. Um, Crab, (laughs) crab on a rock, crab on a rock, right? Like Jamie Dorton, Jamie Dorton's dancing, everything. um, The Wayans is doing like so much. I love this movie so much. I am so curious, Jeff Kanata, what you think about Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. I paid $20 for this movie. <laughs> and I cannot recommend anyone pay $20 to rent it mm-hmm. because you will want to buy it. Yes! Yes, <laughs> Jeff! Yes! That is where I sit. <laughs> if anything, if anything, right now. Yeah. if anything, Devendra undersold this movie. Wow. The, I am I am in shock. Like, there, I, are, I am in shock. there are movies in my youth that I and and Devendra mentioned several of them. There are movies in my youth that I didn't watch so much as attempt to memorize. Yeah. Worshipped. Yes. Yes. Wayne's World was that at a very specific time. Wayne's World was that. Austin Powers was that. Like everyone at my school just spoke in quotes from those movies, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's this. That's this. If, if this. if I was 15 or whatever, you know, if I was in high school when this movie came out, I would attempt to memorize it. I w- it, is, it is a movie that I, it would, would be on repeat. I think this movie is genius. It is so funny. And you said it's like, it's like Wayne's World meets Austin Powers. I'd go further. It's like, what if Wayne's World and Austin Powers were happening at the same time? It's, <laughs> it's a sucker it's, movie. Yes. It's the, yes. Yeah, those two movies smashed into one movie and fighting to for dominance in one movie. Like, what mo- is this Wayne's World or is this Austin Powers? You know, it's it's both and it's happening at the same time in intermittent scenes. Uh, it is so funny. It is so different than anything else. It's like there are those comedies that come out and you're like, oh my God, this is great. This is so funny. And then there are comedies that come out like 
I will never forget the moment I saw Ace Ventura mm-hmm. in the theater. I'm a little older than you guys, but when I, no, saw, I, Ace, I saw Ace Ventura in the theater as well, yep. when I saw Ace Ventura in the theater, I went, oh my God, comedy has changed, right? This is doing <laughs> something no yeah. one else has done. It comedy is, is now the face of a man who talks out of his ass. Right. Well, Welcome to the future. You can argue, yeah. you can argue, I'm not saying it got better, it got worse, whatever, it, but it was like, <laughs> it was something completely original, completely different. It was like shattering any kind of normality of what you would expect in a in a comedy. It was just like, all of a sudden, this is in your face. And I think Wayne's World kind of did that too, in a way. And Austin Powers kind of did that in a way. Like Mike Myers for a while was the the meme. Like everything in those movies was what I said. And I, we, just re, we just quoted those movies back constantly. And, you know, and sort of like, the Billy Madisons of the world were kind of like that too. It's like these, these things that just took over the, the mental space of a developing young mind. And I think this movie is as, as potent comedically as those movies. It, it is full of fresh ideas, like wacky, wacky takes on things. So much of it is building up to swerves like the entire first 15 minutes of this movie is just swerve after swerve after swerve after swerve it's so wonderful you get whiplash from it like everything is a setup for some unexpected swerve at the end of every scene and it it, it gets it gets crazier from there like it it has a plot it doesn't care about its plot then it does care about its it, it's doing so many things and it's consistently hilarious um, I am so glad I watched this. Like I said, I want to own it. I want to watch it multiple times. I was yeah, yeah. hurting myself, laughing so hard. I totally agree with you, Devendra. I think this is that movie. I, I feel like the only downside of this movie is that I cannot buy it right now. Like that is yeah. my main complaint about it. I want to watch it. Yeah, it, it bums me out that I paid $20 for it and it my thing expired. Like my viewing window expired. Because mm-hmm. I, I it, it's... It's a movie that I want to consume. I want to like make it part of me. We have you know, a f- like a, like a psychopath would. <laughs> <laughs> we have a few more thoughts. Um, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back and uh, share uh, some thoughts, including some spoilers on the film. We'll do a spoiler warning. Uh, but yeah, we'll take a quick break and come back with more thoughts. Hey, everyone. It's been a pretty stressful year. I can't imagine why. But if you're like me, you've probably been looking for some ways to just deal with the sleeplessness or the anxiety and things like that. So I wanted to talk about something that's genuinely helped me, and that's Feels. Feels is premium CBD that's delivered right to your doorstep. It naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, As a journalist, I find myself in anxiety-inducing situations all the time if I'm interviewing famous people or just doing a ton of stuff on air. So I've appreciated that Feels is just easy to take. You just have to place a few drops under your tongue, and you'll notice a difference pretty quickly. And it may take a while to figure out like what amount is best for you. Luckily, Feels has real human support to help you just determine the amount of strength that you need. And, you know, I just really appreciate the fact that It's natural. There's no high hangover or addiction. So I'd recommend joining the Feels community to get it delivered to your door every month. It sure beats just running to the store and not knowing the quality of the CBD that you're getting. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. 
And I'll note this one thing from Fields' website, representations regarding the efficacy and safety of Fields has not been evaluated by the FDA. Uh, the FDA only evaluates food and drugs, not supplements like Fields. It's not intended to diagnose, prevent, treat, or cure any disease. Personally, it just has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. I'm a tech guy, and I've spent a bunch of my career just charting how everything is getting smarter from our phones to our cars to our TVs. And if you're a cat owner like me, I'm about to rock your world. It turns out litter is getting smarter too. I'm talking about pretty litter. It's the most advanced litter I've ever seen. It changes colors to help you detect signs of early potential illness from your cat, including things like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And uh, something I learned pretty quickly is that cats can get urinary tract infections pretty often. So it's good to keep track of those things. It's also really easy to clean up because Pretty Litter uses ultra-absorbent crystals to trap odor, and uh, it lasts up to a month. And this is so much better than the clay litter I used to use, where you had to scoop out something pretty much every day. With Pretty Litter, you just have to get a bit of poop out, and then you just kind of shove it around for a bit. Another bonus, Pretty Litter is safer for your cat and pretty much the entire household. It doesn't have the irritants that can really aggravate you from clay litters. Um, it's super light crystal base, is not very dusty at all, and it really reduces mess. Best of all, Pretty Litter arrives at my door safely every month in a small lightweight bag. That is so much better than dragging a giant jug of clay litter back from the store. Shipping is free, and I really never have to worry about storing those huge containers. So I think your cat deserves the best. Your cat deserves the world's smartest kitty litter. Do what I did and make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST. All right, so uh, Barb and Star go to Visadomar. Here's what I'm going to say about the movie, guys. It's very, very specific. <laughs> it's very specific in its humor, in its yep. atmosphere. Uh, we had Scott Wampler on this podcast uh, a few months ago to talk about Capone. And he said, you got to be on this movie's wavelength. That's how I feel about Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. You got to be on this movie's wavelength or else you will sure. not enjoy it. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. And, I mean, and you I'll, say that about any comedy, I think. But yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, I guess I would just say it's 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 more specific than like most. Com- it's it's not a comedy that I would describe as broad, to be honest with you, right? Like, there's there's comedies we would describe as broad, and mm-hmm. you know, where like uh, somebody sh- shits in a sink in a you know in a bridesmaid's outfit uh, situation, yeah. and there's other comedies there's like universal humor. Gonna- yeah, right. th- this movie's humor is is like. The anti-joke sometimes like it'll yeah. set up it'll yeah. set up yeah. the joke you see coming and then it swerves away from that joke because you know the joke that it was heading to. So yeah. it does a different joke. And the joke is how different the joke is from the joke you thought. Right. I agree. I agree. Which makes so, it sophisticated and brilliant. So I did not enjoy the movie as much as you guys. Um, uh, but I can understand why some people would like it, but I just wasn't quite on this movie's wavelength. When I, um, when I suggested that you guys may want to check out this movie, you know, I just, I had a feeling this, it felt like a long shot of like, Ooh, this thing is 
so so goddamn weird i don't, I don't know where things are gonna go but we're gonna take a chance here i'm very glad you dug it jeff um yeah you know, loved it I, man I, I, I feel you. I feel it, Dave. It's it's not for everybody. And I'll say this that. Is, here's here's the thing, though. Really for me. I yeah. I like weird ass shit. You know, like I I I told you in the in the uh, in the chat. I mentioned this movie called Green or Grass. Mm-hmm. This is like an extremely David Lynchian like uh, suburban comedy. That's just like it's it's genuinely one of the most upsetting and weird things I've ever seen. I think it's on Hulu right now. For sure. And it it is like it's also extremely specific and weird. Um, but I just found, it just found it worked more for me than this movie did. And well, um, you, you said the word yeah. upsetting, right? And I don't think there's anything <laughs> upsetting in this movie. This movie is pure. This movie is pure yeah. joy and friendship and love. And I just, I don't know I'm high on its supply. Like I can't, I don't know what else to say. Should we talk about some spoilers for the movie? Sure. Sure. All right, let's we're we're not going to use a spoiler warning for the review, so we might as well do it now. Thanks Kyle Hellinger. Here we go. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be all right, spoilers for Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. It's a, tough, it's a tough thing, right? Because we're doing the spoiler thing in the middle of the show. Our, we haven't even gotten to the featured review yet. You're going to have to fast forward. Hopefully, we'll put the, the time code in the show notes. Because really, if you're at all interested in this movie, you shouldn't go in with any spoilers. I had no idea what, mm-hmm. what was I was in for with this movie. And I'm glad about that. So, eh, just putting that out there. Yeah. So... Uh, you guys, there. I'll just say I thought the talking club was like my favorite part of the movie. You know, like that was when I was like, "This is amazing." You so, know, I, I love I the so, cuts back to the talking club. So funny, like, and they're like amazing, <laughs> sitting there waiting for them to come back. Uh, so good. Yeah. So uh. I, I was like pretty into this movie uh, for the first, you know, fifteen twenty minutes. I was like, I think I see what you're where you're going, movie. I'm up. I'm I'm up to take this journey with you. Dude, and there the, were, okay, the the yeah. beginning where with you're, you're watching that d- paper delivery happen. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's a there's a there's a lip sync that's that's really fun, and then all of a sudden there's like a laser uh, sensor <laughs> thing, and I'm like, what is this movie? This might be the greatest beginning of a movie of all time. Uh, yeah, that sets the tone for the whole thing. It's like you, I had no idea what was going on, you know. Sorry, Dave, go ahead. No, 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 no worries. No worries. Um, but yeah, then like there were some parts of the movie that I, I thought, again, were like fairly amusing and other parts that I was like, what is even I, going on? Here? Where did this like, movie lose you? I feel like there must have been like a specific moment where you were just like, no. <laughs> I don't know. There, it, 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 there were kind of moments towards the end that I appreciated, like uh, Morgan Freeman Crab. I just, yep. they, they actually. <laughs> They actually so got the music from Shawshank Redemption, you know, like, yeah. and I thought that was like, I respect the movie for doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> let me, I'm trying to think, like, was there a moment the movie lost me? I, I don't know. Um, was it the dance they, sequence when they got to the hotel? No, that was, so all, that was awesome. Okay. That was, Which the, theoretically I, I think, they do for every arriving <laughs> customer. Yeah, so, so brilliant. Can you explain to me, like, there was the part where Jamie Dornan goes on the exact same date, including yes. the same camera angles. That's the yes. joke. That's the yeah, joke. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, 
mm, it's not really i get i think i understand what it's trying to do and they but have this they have the realization of their friend in the exact same moment of yeah, the day yeah, yeah, that was with good. each other come on but it's like but it's like eh, it just you know it's not i i, I kind of like the, the situation i was in is i recognize what the movie's trying to do you know, and I, it's, I, it's not like, but it doesn't make me laugh. You know it's what I'm saying? Playing, That's kind of, but yeah. it's, it's playing on the rom-com tropes of, right? Especially that camera move where they're walking up. And it goes below the bridge and they're in the boat, right? And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. that is every that's cool. cutesy rom-com movie where there's like this cute moment between two people. And it does it twice to like really, I, I've never seen that before. To just like really reiterate what it is trying to do, make it more absurd. But they both snuck out to the told the other one a lie of uh-huh. a turtle the turtle i love and they both they both snuck out and they both met up with the same guy so of course they both go on the same exact series of moments with him it's 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 amazing I, I feel like the minute i really clicked with this movie um was after they they had their crazy drinking session right and that was our first cut back to the talking club i believe um and then at the end of that like you wake up to just the sandwich of Kristen Wiig, Jamie Dornan, <laughs> yes, and Andy yes. Mamello, and they look at each other, <laughs> and it's eye lines, and Ugh. they're like, oh, d- do we? And they were like, yeah, really? And I like, it. these friends just had a threesome, basically, and the movie's like, oh, that's cool. And these, like, nor- these, these just, like, cute Midwestern ladies are just like, yeah, it's fine. I guess we had a lot of fun, right? That's so sweet. Uh, um, I loved it. I loved that goes, moment. Yeah. She goes, you know that position that we got into last <laughs> night where you went even deeper? Well, I think your dong went so far inside me, it, it touched my heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Dude, there's, I, there's so many lines that I just want to memorize from this movie. I just like, oh, dude, it's so, yeah. so funny. And I feel like we're cutting back to David Chun here in the talking club. Just like I know. He's in the talking crackers? club. The talking club. It's a uh, podcast, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm. I mean, I always love seeing Vanessa Bear. Like yes, yes. Whenever you see Vanessa Bear in some like some comedy these days, she's always playing someone who's really if you think about that character, it's really upsetting. You know, yeah. like she was also yeah. in um I think you should leave. Right, the Netflix series. He played like a. She had a brief character in one of those skits, sketches as well. And it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm always just impressed at how unsettled I am by her character. Mm-hmm. Um, she has so, a great nervous energy, right? And yes. when she uses that, it is weaponized. Yeah, yeah. she's she's awesome. So I, I I love her work. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I think the movie peaked too early with Talking Club. That's all I'm saying. Oh right. man, no, not at all. I, I I was impressed with how it kept being hilarious all mm-hmm. the way through for me. How the 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 payoffs of the the plot, such as it is, were you know so many of those types of movies, like the first act and maybe half of the second act are really funny. But then it's like, okay, well now we got to get down to business to like right. you know pay off this third act, you know stuff that we set up, and we lose all the fun and we get to this kind of boring. Uh, payoff of the story and i think this movie committed to being wacky and irreverent and unexpected throughout and it it it, even though it does sort of pay off all the setups at the beginning it does pay off the the freaking death mosquitoes plot it's still (laughs) it's still uh maintained like the thing that was charming for me at the beginning Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know the, the 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 twists the the swerves the the just 
can't possibly see it coming humor beats and uh yeah, yeah I, it was uh it was great i'm so glad i paid to watch this movie i i mm-hmm. loved it kristen wig is dr lady i mean yeah what what whatever was happening with her and her like terrible backstory which is just like hilarious because it is so bad you know because it's so poorly sketched and so like i don't know such garbage i love that this movie even um I think when it started to wind down, we meet the uh, the Damon Wayans Jr. character, and it's just like yeah. his his shtick just like never <laughs> stops being funny to me. Especially <laughs> when it was like the note at the door. Yeah, the, the note at the door was pretty funny, and, and it has like his address, and he's like, "Oh shit!" and like in parentheses, he's like, "Oh shit!" I keep getting this wrong, and yeah, <laughs> that was pretty good. All right, well, anyway, I I didn't find it irredeemable. I didn't find it, I didn't think it was like absolutely terrible, but. Um, I didn't love it, but I'm glad you guys did. And I think a lot of people out there will. So uh, if there's any justice in this world, this movie gets a sequel as soon as possible. I would love a sequel. And I'd also love like maybe an Austin Powers crossover at some point. Yeah. Like, just like that movie could totally happen. But let yeah. Wig be in charge. All right. Well, those are some thoughts on Barb and Star. Go to Vista Del Mar. Let's get to some weekly plugs, shall we? We're going to do weekly plugs. All right. Uh, thanks to Noah Ross for the weekly plugs music. And of course, always a shout out to Kyle Hillinger uh, for our spoiler bumper. Um, and to Beatty Zhang for editing this episode of the podcast. Guys, weekly plugs is the part of the show each week where we recommend something that we've been in or maybe something we have been in that we still think you should check out. Uh, this week, I want to talk about real briefly an interview I did with uh, a professor and author Maylee Chai about um anti-asian violence pretty serious topic but mm. i'm gonna recommend you check it out because uh it's on the rise uh unfortunately even though we have a new president we're still dealing with the consequence of the old one and um so Meili chai wrote a, a viral twitter thread about uh anti-asian violence that's happening around the country and i had a chance to talk with her for my podcast culturally relevant um and we talked about uh some of the causes and some of the solutions for this I'd recommend you check it out if it's a topic you care about. Um, so, yeah, that's my weekly plug for Culturally Relevant. Devinder Hardwar, your weekly plug? Yeah, I talked about uh, the new Ghibli movie, Earwig and the Witch, last week. And uh, I wrote up a full review at Engadget.com. So just search Engadget and Earwig, and you'll find that. Uh, I go deeper into why that movie doesn't work. And it's, it's a goddamn travesty and an insult <laughs> to animation and Studio Ghibli. So, yeah. yeah I hate it. You, you were pretty harsh in the movie. I mean, the movie is not reviewed well, but like, I feel like part of your viciousness towards the movie is because of your, the, the special place that Studio Ghibli holds in your heart, right? Sure. They have mastered 2D animation. You know, like they, they are a very unique place. And, to have this goddamn cheap CG movie be their thing, their intro into the world of Pixar, it is it's infuriating. Yeah. Well, the world of like CG animated films. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you can check that out over at Engadget. Um, Devendra's review of Earwig and the Witch. 
Jeff Kanata, give us a weekly plug. Well, we had the Super Bowl not too long ago. And so some folks might be thinking that football is over for the year, for the season. But I say no. There is a brand new football league called Fan Controlled Football, or FCF for short. It has just debuted. They had the first games on Saturday, this last Saturday. And uh, this is a wild new concept. It is exactly what it says. Fans control everything. They named the teams. They decide which players are on the teams. They design the logos. They design the color schemes for the jerseys. They make every, they make rules calls for the league. Every decision in this league is, is made by the fans, by the viewers, including which plays are run in the games. There's an app where you can actually call the plays. And those are the plays that the real human beings on the field run I'm involved. Uh, I am uh, uh, hosting the uh, the official companion show to Fan Controlled Football, which is actually changed. The name changes every single week because it is decided on by the fans. And you can see me uh, do that on Thursdays at two thirty p.m. Pacific time at Twitch.tv/fcf. It's a really wild, fun time. I co-host with Josh McCuga and the folks who run the Fan Controlled Football League. And uh, we have a really good time. It is a really neat uh, football league. You should check it out. All right. Uh, check that out uh, on Twitch uh, at twitch.tv slash FCF. Uh, did you guys watch the Super Bowl this year? Unfortunately. Not really. It was um, not a good one. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Just as a television event, it was yeah. pretty disappointing but like i feel like the ads have gotten less and less creative as time has gone on i, I don't know if you guys feel the same well this is not a new phenomenon like the, the last i don't know five to ten years have been pretty bad yeah i mean it, it just feels like most ads these days rely on hey we got this celebrity cameo and like not only that but Many of them shove in as many celebrity cameos as humanly possible during the ad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I just feel like we're a long way off from like Budweiser frogs or like was well, up. You know, like the, the Budweiser. Did you see Budweiser did a like we brought back all your favorites in one commercial, like the Avengers Endgame of Budweiser ads. Yeah. You see it with, with it had the frogs. It had the was up guy. It had the. I love you, man. It had uh, real man of genius. The, the whole gamut of it's like, no, no, I'm sorry, Budweiser. You're the things you've incepted into my brain are not worthy of me feeling nostalgia for your ad characters. I'm sorry. Yeah, it just, it just, I guess it just feels like it's been a while since we've had an ad that has been as culturally relevant you know as some of those other ones like that has like everyone's quoting it everyone's talking about it you know like it's because most people don't watch ads everybody's on netflix yeah i guess um i did think the the halftime show is pretty interesting you know like Terrible. it's it's interesting oh you didn't you did not like it <laughs> i thought this sound engineer needs to be fired oh oh, oh yeah i agree it sounded really weird it's awful but, but uh i thought like it, it's actually pretty impressive what you can accomplish when there is no there are no fans on the field you know what i mean like yeah 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 uh and there are there are few fans in the stands and and he like took over the field and also like 
creepy you know like there's all these dudes wearing yeah. these masks and st- these like bandages and stuff and i just like i appreciated that you know it, he it, the weekend you know who did the halftime show just felt like hey, i'm gonna i'm gonna let my freak flag fly a little bit here and, and make something that is deeply upsetting and well my, unsettling my four-year-old is a major fan of the weekend uh, one of his favorite oh, songs great. oh great Great. Yeah, I mean, one of, one of his favorite songs is is Blinding Lights, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. was super excited that the weekend was going to be live and in person singing Blinding Lights, and then of course was really traumatized by what he saw. <laughs> yeah, Daddy, what's wrong with their faces? Daddy, why are their eyes glowing? Daddy, yeah, sorry, sorry, buddy, sorry. It's Sometimes gotta... uh, the the fo- <laughs> football is. It's a horror show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just got to admire the the guts that someone has to like say, you know, it, it, it honestly, you know what it made me think of is Tim Burton's Batman Returns is <laughs> like, here's a guy who, you know, has an opportunity to make whatever movie he likes. And he's like, I'm going to make something incredibly grim, dark and weird. Um, and, and evidently put up like seven million dollars of his own money to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So props. I think the number was. Props to the weekend, and also uh, Jeff. I feel like most of the weekend's music is not kid safe. That's me from my recollection. But time to call you know, child services. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. How dare you? <laughs> dare no, you. I my son. One of the first. One of the first words my son learned how to read was explicit. He goes, "Daddy, this one's explicit, <laughs> so we can't we can't listen to this song." That's right, buddy. Next song. Uh, All right, daddy. Daddy, this one's good. explicit. Are we allowed to read? Or listen to it? Nope. No, we aren't. Next one, buddy. <laughs> Daddy, I think Starboy's coming on. I know we got to skip this one, pal. Ah, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, good on you, Jeff. Good on you. Okay, Father of the Year. That's what you meant to say, Father of the Year. <laughs> hey, it's time for me to tell you about our sponsor, Harry's. You know, too often you choose between quality or fair price. Well, with Harry's, you don't have to choose. They give you award-winning blades at factory direct prices. It's, it's, it's a time when I know a lot of us are letting our personal hygiene go, right? I know I am. I I got a beard. I never had a beard for years and years. I didn't have a beard. Now I do. That doesn't mean I don't need to take care of my beard. I don't need to look my best. And Harry's delivers a close, comfortable shave at a fair price. Only $2 per refill. Wow. For a limited time, Harry's is offering their starter set plus a free body wash for just $3 at harrys.com slash filmcast. Harry's believes in quality so much that they bought their own factory in Germany just so they could own every step of the manufacturing process. These are great blades. I've been using Harry's for a long, long time. Uh, These are great high-quality blades, but they're also super inexpensive. Harry's team combined a simple ergonomic design with five sharp Blades. It's a lot of sharp blades. And they source their steel from Sweden and manufacture their blades in their world-class blade factory. I wish I had a world-class blade factory. My blade factory is merely satisfactory. A satisfactory blade factory. The Harry's German factory is one of the select few manufacturers in the world that have mastered the technology to create a gothic arch. The gold standard for razor blade grinding. I don't have to tell you that. You know, when I say Gothic Arch, of course you know. Plus, they have a 100% quality guarantee. They stand behind the quality of their blades so much that they have a 100% money-back guarantee at harrys.com. So, get on it. 
For a limited time, Harry's has an exclusive offer for listeners of the Slash Filmcast. New customers can get a Harry's starter set and a free body wash for just $3. $3 at harrys.com slash filmcast. That's over $16 of value for just three bucks. You'll get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, a travel cover, and a travel-sized body wash. It's an incredibly great deal. But you gotta you gotta do it fast because supplies are limited. So go to harrys.com slash filmcast to redeem your offer. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Sue, whose email we read at the beginning of the podcast, um, who donated in addition to emailing us. Um, but the, the best way to support the podcast right now, there's two things you can do. One is head on over to patreon.com slash film podcast. That's patreon.com slash the phrase film podcast and support us there. Get some cool rewards like ad free episodes and extra after dark episodes of the show. You can also go to Apple podcast and leave a review for us. That one's free. You don't need to pay any money for that. It really does help a lot. We'd really appreciate it. If you're enjoying the show, head on over to Apple podcast, leave a star rating. It just takes a few seconds. All right, let's get to our review of Judas and the black Messiah. Repeat after me. impersonating a federal officer or you can go home the black badges are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror i will learn all that i can these ain't no terrorists you can murder a liberator but you can't murder liberation you can murder revolutionary but you can't murder revolution That was from the trailer for Judas and the Black Messiah, the new film by director Shaka King. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah tells the story of Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and his fateful betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill. I am going to also say that because this is a movie that's based on real-life events, uh, that we are just going to spoil this movie right from the top because it's really hard to talk about it without talking about spoilers for real life. So um, if you don't want to know what happens in Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, watch the film. It's something I think we could all recommend you check out and then come back, listen to this review. Joining us for this review, uh, her work has appeared at Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, and The Playlist, as well as numerous other outlets Film critic Valerie Complex, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Valerie? Uh, good. Thank you, guys, for having me back again. Um, I never intended to become a a regular on such a big, 
website. Uh, I mean, but, that's what I uh, intended. Podcast. No, that's yeah, what no I one, absolutely wanted. No one yeah. wants to come back. No one. But thank you. It happens to you, you know? It's not yeah. an intent. Yeah. 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 It's like uh, Hotel California, right? Um, you, <laughs> you can, can check, check in, but you can never leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Valor Complex. Uh, I think I saw you tweeting about this movie a, a few weeks ago. It's something you're really excited about. What did you think overall of Judas and the Black Messiah? Um, I thought it was good. I thought it was, um, I think at first, when I first saw it, I was like raving about it. And then I sat mm-hmm. with it and had to think about it. And there was, there were a lot of flaws that I picked up on, but I still think it was a well-made movie. I think it was a well-acted movie. I think that there's a lot of things that work equally with some things that don't work. Uh, but I overall, I liked it. I liked the experience. It made me angry, of course, but I knew exactly what I was getting into. So I guess that's how I feel about it. I don't have a lot in the way of like overall, I know like specific things about it that made me feel one way or another, but overall it's good. I think in my review, I gave it a B. Yeah. And you, you mentioned like there's some things you really liked about it, some things you didn't like about it. Can you give like an example of each just so we have some sense? Uh, I did like um, Daniel Kaluuya's performance. I loved it. Uh, I thought him and Dominique Fishback were great. Uh, one thing I don't like is I, I don't think Lake Keith Stanfield had a lot to work with. I don't mm. think he was allowed to explore many emotions outside of like sniveling and, and, and angry or whatever. Lots of twitching for him. Yeah. Right. I don't think he was given a range of things to do with the character. Mm. Uh well, let's let's go to Devin Harder. Overall thoughts on Judas and the Black Messiah. I love this movie. Uh, I just actually rewatched it with my wife since it hit HBO. But I saw this for the first time uh, during Sundance too, and it just kind of it floored me both with the power of its filmmaking and the sheer like the sheer power of its messaging too. Like this is a movie that is about the Black Panthers ultimately, and it's about very progressive and radical ideology. And it's like, it really sticks to it in a way that I really respect. And I think is really surprising for a movie that's, you know, being distributed by Warner brothers, you know, it paints a damning picture of the FBI and of J Edgar Hoover, uh, played by Martin Sheen in this movie, like his, his most like anti West wing role. Yeah. I think President like Bartlett, it is, what happened, part, what have you done? <laughs> but I think it does like a, it's almost like a weird science fiction movie. The way it presents the FBI is just like this organization that is ruthlessly after the black Panthers and Fred Hampton in particular, because uh turns out uh, J. Edgar Hoover did not like the idea of black revolutionaries and dedicated his entire life to stopping that and, uh, and the FBI. And we actually just talked about uh, MLK FBI a couple of weeks ago. And the seal was like a, direct continuation of a lot of those conversations i i found this movie overall you know fascinating incredibly well acted it is it's a true life story but it's also told with the skill and the depth of a crime thriller so it feels like feels like you're watching the departed or something or infernal affairs at certain points and i i do feel kind of bad about that too because it is a real life thing and i don't want to just like hollywood it up but as a story and the way it's told in this movie like be sure this is one of those movies where i feel like every single scene tells you something important right nothing is there there's no fat on this movie it's all like adding texture or character depth or something even the way people look at each other um i, I agree like lakeith stanfield 
doesn't have that much on paper, but the power of Lakeith Stanfield is his eyes, right? And the way he uses his eyes and the way like his, just as he's processing things or he is like morally compromised and kind of weighing everything, you can see it all in his face and in his eyes. I was imagining what it would be like if he and uh, Rami Malek were ever in a movie together. It would just be two guys just like <laughs> sh- shifty eyed at each other and it would be amazing and I would love it. But I, yeah, I adored his performance, but I think uh, Daniel Kaluuya is the like powerhouse of this movie. He just really embodies the, I know the, the like soul of Fred Hampton, it feels like. And I, I think the one big knock I could put against this movie and a lot of people have written about this is that these guys are at least 10 years older than the actual real life Fred Hampton and Bill O'Neill. Uh, Bill O'Neill was 17 when this all began. Lakeith Stanfield is, you know, in his 30s, I believe, and so, so is Daniel late, Kaluuya. Late 20s. Late 20s. Late 20s, okay. But the idea that he was just a kid, not even an adult, right? And the idea that Fred Hampton was 21, I believe, when he died. Like, he was early, early 20s. Like, these are very, very young guys just trying to figure out the world. And I think maybe casting actors who were closer to that age would have really made that seem more impactful. And I think the movie is truly impactful right now, but I think it would have gotten another message across too of, uh, you know, Bill O'Neill didn't quite know what he was doing. He was young and naive. And Fred Hampton was this like, just like uh, genius when it came to orating and telling, you know, whipping people up and uh, like just telling his story. It is the age difference is like the one thing I come back to, but I can't really knock this movie for much else. To me, it is it is astounding. All right, Jeff Kanata, let's hear from you about Judas and the Black Messiah. Overall thoughts? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my overall thoughts on Judas and the Black Messiah are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Hmm. All right. Interesting. Even though this story is true, you don't know this history, do you? While there's less suspense because they're true events, give the Oscar to Daniel Kaluuya. (laughs) I was waiting for you to work up to the Kaluuya, honestly. Nice nice, uh, use of the Kaluuya in there, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I agree basically with everything that's been said. I I think it's a tremendous performance from Daniel Kaluuya that anchors this movie, and and it's... Oscar worthy. And the idea of like, where do you even find a 21 year old that could do that? Right. You know, like, and that points to what was amazing about Fred Hampton, right? Because how, how does a 21, you know, in the course of this movie, uh, you know, things happen to (laughs) Fred and, uh, at certain points people are like, well, if he's out of commission, there is no Black Panther Party, yeah, right? Yeah, this whole think, thing's over. How, yeah. Yeah, he is that important to that many people. And he's he's 21? He's, uh, it's, it's staggering. And you're right. It is a shame that you get no sense of that in the movie. Um, but also, like, of, how? Of how young he was. Not how important he was, but how young right, he right, was. Right, right, right. You get, yeah. I mean, they, clearly you know how important he is, but you get no sense of that this is a child. I mean, this is a, yeah. a young, very young man. Um barely old enough to to drink or vote you know it is it is uh you know he's mm-hmm. a little past voting age but you know what I'm, you, you get what i'm saying he's a very very young person uh who is you know titularly the black messiah here this is this is a uh a person who was very important to a lot of people but it's hard to grasp that capability from someone so young um but 
like I said, how do you even like where do you cast that? Who who when you name me a 21 year old actor that can right. pull off what Daniel Kaluuya does in this movie? I don't I don't maybe, know. Maybe maybe actually like a 21 year old Daniel Kaluuya like back in the day. I remember <laughs> seeing him like for the first time in like Black Mirror. Right. And earlier stuff yeah. in British TV. And like the dude was always astounding. This movie almost makes a case for like, you know, just just subtle de-aging tech. Right. Like keep these actors, mm. but just like do do a little bit to like just enhance the youthfulness maybe and that may serve a role for films like this in the future i don't know yeah I don't it's know. an interestingly I just, I, structured move oh i'm sorry go ahead no i was gonna say i don't agree <laughs> i don't okay. think um i think there are a lot of um young talented people out there it's just we'll never discover them because they're never given a chance because when true, hollywood true. latches on to a specific actor of color they cast them over and over and over and over again, like Aquafina, for example. She's, yeah, and it's like, the, like these two guys were already in a movie together too, which is kind of funny. Right. Yeah, and, there's a whole Get Out reunion actually. I think um, yeah. with uh, Lil Rel in the movie as well. But yeah, Lil Rel. Uh, I mean, I you could also just imagine Jesse Plemons' character just some somewhere in the background of Get Out too. Like you know, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Valerie. Finish what you're saying. Um, no, I just, I just. I wonder if someone else had been given a chance, what that would have mm-hmm. been like. Um, the reason why I can't think of a young actor is because they're not given the opportunities that they should be. Um, so I don't know. That's just my personal thing. So. I think this is a very, very uh, uh, interestingly structured movie. I mean, uh, Devinder kind of referenced the fact that it's, it's, it's ostensibly in the structure of, something we've seen before, like a Donnie Brasco or something like that. But uh, I don't know of any other movie like that where the person who is going undercover is the villain, right? You don't, I almost never see the villain as the one that is sweating inside behind enemy lines, you know, worried about whether they're going to get caught or not. And I think because of that, uh, this movie loses a bit of its sort of uh, theatrical theatricality or or drama in the sense that I, I never really was worried about that. Also, because the the bookending device of this movie kind of reveals that he wasn't, you know, nothing happened to him, even though I wasn't aware of the details of this history. Uh, I kind of wish I had been more on the edge of my sh- seat as to whether or not this person was going to be found out. But the movie kind of doesn't really care about that and maybe that's for the best because it's got bigger things to deal with uh it's it's really more an account of history and a a telling of a story that i think most people don't know and um in that sense i think it's it's incredible filmmaking and the performances alone are worth worth watching it for so it's it's a it's an amazing movie i just you know it, it it feels a little drier as far as um you know, in that in that context of sort of a crime thriller, I think it feels a little dry. But in the context of a um, a biopic or a, a film that is revealing history that is uh, mostly unknown, I think it it is um, it makes up for that fact. Is he a villain or is he just a young child being gaslit by the FBI? Mm-hmm. Like, who are the real well, I think villains? The, the movie here. says yeah. he's like, Judas, yeah. right? Yeah, the movie yeah. says he's Judas. So. I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I think the Romans had something to do with that whole Judas thing too, you know? So it's like, what is, what is the structure behind all of this, right? That is causing these things to happen. And I think 
the movie yeah. yeah gives us that a little so valerie would you do you see kind of lakeith stanfield like as equally a victim in what occurs in the film uh yeah uh, I don't want to think about it like that because he had a choice. But if you're 17 years old, do you want to go to prison for five years? Um, so mm-hmm. I think he made the choice that was best for him in order to survive. Um, of course, he didn't know he was going to get caught up like that, going deep cover, but it's what he did to survive. That's why people sell drugs. That's why people, you know, jack cars and do what they do. Um, those so sort of survival, you know, ghetto fabulous survival, whatever you want to call it, uh, things is because they do what they have to do to eat. They do what they have to do to stay safe, to stay out of, you know, the system, uh, the prison pipeline and all that. So yes, there, you know, there was a decision he, he had to make and he did try to get out of it many, many times. Um, at least twice, um, for what I saw in the film and the FBI just wanted more and more and more. Um, and they manipulated him and they, you know, hung his jail sentence over his head all the time. And I know, you know, later in the, you know, his years, William, O'Ne- William O'Neill seemed a little delusional where he was like, he was a part of the the struggle <laughs> and a part of the, I mean, I don't know what he's, I, I don't think he even knows what he's talking about, but um, at the time, you were talking about like the documentary clip we see of him, right? At the right. end of the film, right? Right. And how he he's like people ask him about uh, uh, how he felt about his actions, and he said, "Well, say what you will, I was part of the struggle, right?" Like, and he's and, not technically uh, wrong. Yeah, it's, yeah, very, it, very he was powerful there. moment. It's a very yeah, powerful yeah. moment to see that actual footage too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but it does feel a little bit confused. Like he's stating it proudly, even though clearly Mm -hmm. he was very tortured. Right, Valerie? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, because he, you know, after that interview, like two weeks later, he drove himself off a bridge. So, um, I don't know if you guys knew that. The night it aired, right? According to the text in the movie. So. Oh, the night it aired. That's right. Yeah. You can imagine like just seeing, like seeing himself, right? Seeing his own insecurities put up there. Like, we don't know. But it, it almost feels like it, it almost drove him to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I don't know. It's just, it's really, I guess it's one of the things I did like about the film is the complexities of everyone's role. Because mm-hmm. we know J. Edgar Hoover um, is a massive twat and, <laughs> you know, he orchestrated everything. But then even um, Jesse Plemons' character, to an extent, was being gaslit because it seemed like somewhere in the middle when he was um, checking in with Jagger that he mm-hmm. was like, it's over. You know, Fred Hampton at the time uh, had been, you know, he had, I think he had just gotten out of jail um, and they were ready to put him back in. And, you know, Jesse Plymouth's character was like, oh, it's over. And then Jagger who was like, no. And then he in turn put that on William O'Neill. So it's, it's, this is, one, I think that what Judas and the Black Messiah does well is to showcase just how evil the system is. But I think mm-hmm. like we kind of know that about the FBI, MLK in the FBI, Malcolm X in the FBI, Black Panthers in the FBI, everybody FBI. Like it's, you know, they are, they, I, I think they're an evil entity. It's like Skynet almost, just evil. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that I really uh, that hit me about this movie is 
when these guys are talking about J. Edgar Hoover and Jesse Plemons' character and his boss are talking about using the full state apparatus, like the law enforcement apparatus that they have at their disposal to suppress this dude, um, you really get a sense of how stacked the deck is against this guy, right? It's just like, mm-hmm. I, I'm just like, there's just no way this guy is going to be able to surmount the, the challenge that is before him. Um, and I, I really felt that, like, you, you feel the impact of that when um, you see, you know, the shootouts that happen and obviously the raid that happens at the end of the film. Uh, it just, it, it shows you how asymmetrical the battlefield is uh, in this whole situation. So, uh, I uh, agree with you that like the depiction of the FBI is um, is pretty rough um, and and rightfully so. Uh, I re- I agree with everything you guys have said. I think the movie is great. I agree with the the challenge that like Daniel Kaluuya is awesome in this movie, but um, he is ten years older than Fred Hampton was at the time of the events of the film, and um, and I do think like it would have been like this this extra impact to see all this stuff happening to basically a kid. Um, that said, Daniel Kaluuya he's incredible. He like becomes this character. He changes mm-hmm. the way he speaks and the way he looks to to make this transformation complete. Um, so I think it's great. The fact that it is structured as a crime thriller I think is very interesting. Um, and, and to be honest, makes it more effective than other films like this like i i, I think yeah, yeah the if you look at like this movie compared to like american gangster you know which is a movie i've seen recently judas and the black messiah i was completely engrossed i was like riveted i i couldn't wait to find out like what was happening next and um american gangster is much more like sprawling but in my opinion it's less uh it's less propulsive you know like i feel yeah, like yeah. i was i i the, this movie moved from like event to event in a really uh, at a really rapid clip, and that makes for both a thrilling viewing experience, but also, uh, as a result of that, you miss some of the nuance of things, right? Like, uh, one of the great things this movie does is it makes the Black Panthers uh, into a sort of organization that is more complex than what we usually see on the big screen. Like, in in general we don't see that much of the Black Panthers depicted in fictional films, just gen- generally period the end. And when we do, it's typically a, a caricature. It's typically something very simplistic. Um, and this movie hints at some of the other things they did, like feed children and unite people of disparate races in community organizing. Um, medical care, like yeah, things, medical things care. the government has historically f- failed at and is still failing at looking at the country even still today, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. But, but that's the thing though, is it, it, it only hints at those things, you know, like it doesn't, uh, because it is kind of, it has the skeleton of this crime thriller. It can't really like dive into those things, uh, or really like make you understand the full extent of the black Panthers, um, uh, efforts in those areas. Um, but I, I liked that it it uh, it does more to kind of give a full picture of the Black Panthers than uh, than most other films. I think a uh, lot of people were disappointed. Like, oh my god, there was like a huge thing on Twitter because people were angry that um, just repeating what was said that the film didn't sort of go in depth about the things that they did. Like, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and I'm going to I'm going to put the question out there. You know, the film wasn't really marketed as a crime thriller. 
I think people thought it was going to be more of a sort of drama, you know, here's who Fred Hampton really was and here's mm. how this thing got involved into his death. Um, and not so much play up on the aspects of the crime, more so figuring out who the Black Panthers are, whatever, whatever. So people were upset about that. But do you think that, do you think that's something that's worth getting upset over just because your expectations of a film are not mm. met? Um, yeah, I don't have tough. an answer for that. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, asking the question. Um, there were a lot of people who felt close mm-hmm. to Fred Hampton, who were close to Fred Hampton, who were close to the Black Panthers, who who felt a little gypped. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think that the problem with a movie like this is it can't be all things to all people, right? And I think that um, there's certain things, as we've already discussed, it does very well, and there's other things it can't... And because it does those things well, it can't do other things well. Um, and hopefully, you know, I, I've read interviews with the, the writers of this movie, and it's like, hopefully this movie can spawn renewed interest in Black uh, the Black Panther organization, in Fred Hampton, um, that there's basically more movies and more stories to be told about mm-hmm. this era in time. And um, hopefully, like, some of those movies can kind of uh, fulfill people's expectations more. But it's interesting, Valerie, you know, the point you bring up about, like, maybe what people's expectations were. Maybe they were expecting something more like... Um, uh, an American gangster where, and when I say more like an American gangster, what I mean is like something that's a little bit more sprawling, less yeah. plot driven, more, more like Malcolm the, X. Like Malcolm right. X is a three hour long or more than three hour, like Epic, you know, more, it's more about the, like the milieu, like mm-hmm. the, the time, the historical context and less about, wow, here's a story about like this guy who needs like a Donnie Brasco esque story about someone infiltrating the organization. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- um, that's a good question to ask Valerie too. Cause I feel like it's something everybody brings up whenever like one, one story that's little known or one culture gets highlighted in a movie, right. That is not often represented in Hollywood is like, you want right. it to be everything, right. Cause this is your one shot to get everything you feel about this one topic out there and you're going to feel let down if it misses something that is important to you. And I'm not going to discount that. But I do think like for what this movie is trying to be about, which is, you know, the the Fred Hampton, Bill O'Neill connection and kind of the power, what Fred Hampton represented. I think it certainly captures that really well. And the struggle that Bill O'Neill goes through, like Lakeith Stanfield does that really well for me. You don't have a lot of. I'm sorry. I, I keep mm-hmm. talking. No. I'm so sorry. Please, please, please go. Ahead. That's what you're you here for. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. You don't have a lot of film. Like Agnes Varda still has the best film about the Black Panthers. Mm. Her her yep. Black Panther short. Yep. Um. You know there was Seaberg, which I don't think anybody saw, uh, and there was um the trial of the Chicago Seven, which mentioned Fred Hampton. We see him, but we don't discover what. Um, he's all about. And then you have this film that goes a little further, um, but probably not further enough for me. I don't know if I would want something as sprawling as uh, American Gangster or Malcolm X, but mm-hmm. I, I just wanted a little bit more, like 15 minutes more of just a little bit of you know, what these just, people are doing yeah. together and the Rainbow Coalition and all that. I hear you. I, I would have loved the actual two and a half hour or three hour long cut of this movie and just give us more of this world and more of the relationship between uh, Fred Hampton and his, uh, what what is her name? And Deborah Johnson, you know, mm-hmm. Dominique Fishback, also fantastic. Like, they, I feel like their relationship was cut short because of the, you know, these movies are more interested in the crime aspects for sure. 
Right. Um, so uh, it, it's interesting to reflect on the fact that in the last 12 months, we have gotten this movie, One Night in Miami, and also Trial of Chicago 7, which like kind of all take place like roughly around the same time period and allude to similar events. And uh, it's just like three extremely different approaches to uh, this era in time. Uh, and I, I think that is a little bit fascinating. One thing I wanted to point out um, that I think this movie does well, uh, that's kind of remarkable, kind of I'm, I'm, I'm mulling it, is there is a character named Jake Winters in the movie uh, who is enraged at the murder of his friend at the hands of law enforcement and engages in a shootout with police, um, killing several officers before he himself is, is shot and killed. And I think it's Fred Hampton that meets with this character's mother afterwards. Am I getting yes. this detail right? Right. Mm-hmm. And his mother says, uh, the, the, the thrust of what she says is basically, um, they will, uh, say that my son is a murderer. You know, they will, they will paint him as a murderer, but he was more than that. Um, and it's true. The movie does not shy away from showing you that this person killed cops. Um, but I think what this movie does in general is show you like the, the, whatever stories you've heard about the black Panthers, whatever stories you've heard about Fred Hampton, if they are negative, if they are simplistic or caricatured, uh, they are more than that. You know, that the black Panther party was complicated and Fred Hampton was, uh, a complicated person and had a life beyond the speeches that he made. And I really appreciated that that was a point this movie tried to make and that the movie itself like by existing makes that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I appreciated it as something that kind of made these characters a little bit more complex. So, um, so let's see uh, other topics. I, I do want to mention kind of the ending, which I thought was like a pretty brutal um, series of events that occurs. And, uh, really, to me, watching it kind of drove home the the asymmetry I was referring to earlier regarding state violence as being used against these people and how vicious it was, you know, and how like um, these people really, uh, it's it's just it's it's unconscionable what happens to them. And I thought, in particular, Dominique Fishback's performance during that scene is incredible. Unbelievable. Um, during the, the shots that stays on her in the foreground. Yeah. Uh, while stuff's happening in the background, it, it's harrowing. It's a har- it's a beautiful way to shoot that scene. Apparently, uh, based on a on what happened in real life too, like uh, the actual woman Deborah, her name was Deborah Johnson at the time. Uh, she says, "Like I didn't break down. I stood my ground, and uh, I can't imagine like what." that was like to endure that her name now is uh akua ninjeri i think is how uh, i'm not sure if that's mm. pronounced correctly but um anyway um valerie curious if you had any thoughts on like the the climax of the film and and uh how you felt it all wrapped up uh i thought it was i don't really know how to explain um all that trauma to be honest um uh, I guess, you know, technically in terms of film, it was wrapped up really well. Like the entire third act is very good. 
and it ends on a very exciting note. Um, I think it's really filmed with these sort of tight shots that make the whole atmosphere feel real claustrophobic and small, which is why when you see all of these people raiding the house, well, for me at least, it was, uh, you know, it made me a little uh, anxious uh, because it felt like, you know, I I was putting myself in their shoes and imagining what it would be like to be trapped. Um, because, you know, there's only one thing that you're thinking when the FBI comes through your door, you're thinking you're probably going to die. And um, I, I imagine that that took a toll on the actors as well. Not just, uh, I mean, I spoke to Dominic, Dominique Fishback uh, about a week or two ago. And she talked about the, the emotional toll that it took on her. And I talked to Shaka King as well. He said the same thing. Said not only did he have to go to like dark places, especially with filming that ending, the actors were sort of put through the ringer by these events because they wanted it to be as intense and look as intense as possible. And for some reason in that last sort of 15 minutes, I don't know if I'm like crazy or whatever, but the sound seems to go up mm-hmm. and there yeah. is like the sound is like the sound is really really amazing and that yeah the, sa- the it, sound design overall for the whole movie i thought was particularly great um yeah and it was something about it that it just went like in my ear and like made me shiver it was just so loud uh and you know not in a bad way but in a way to just make you really feel like maybe you could be there um, so yeah, I, I thought the ending was extremely effective, especially with the little, um, uh, archival live, uh, clips yeah. that they had at the end. Yeah. Th- thank you for sharing that, Valerie. Um, and I, I particularly liked the, uh, I-, I thought these were some of the most impactful, like closing credits no, oh, we're not yeah. closing credits like, clo- you Incredible. know, at the end when they explain like what happened in real life and the movie begins with. Uh, you're you're seeing kind of this framing device of Bill O'Neill giving a doc like a interview for a documentary. I think it's called um, Eyes on the Prize Two. Eyes on the Prize yeah, Two. Eyes on the Prize Two. And he's giving this um, interview, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, like I'm kind of like uh, a little bit annoyed by this framing device because I'm like, why? You know, uh, I, I, whenever somebody starts a uh, movie like in media res or with a framing device, I'm like, okay, like there better be like a good reason yeah. for this. Don't don't and give me a narrator to, or anything. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And then you get to the end of the movie, and rather than cutting back to Lakeith Stanfield, they cut to the real Bill O'Neill giving the interview, and then you find out what happens to him afterwards. It is a double whammy. Like I thought mm-hmm, they had forgotten. Mm-hmm. I thought they had just like jettisoned the entire like framing device that happens sometimes, you know, they start with a framing device and then they just completely forget about it by the end of the film. Um, but yeah, I think what, no, what makes it so yeah. effective, uh, the, the little detail you're leaving out there, uh, is that the Keith Stanfield was dressed exactly the same way. It was shot to look, to match exactly the real footage. Yeah. So you see this impersonation, almost this, this, um, you know, this reconstruction of it to start and then the real thing to end and how closely they match together, it's it really jolts you into the reality of everything you've just watched. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really masterfully 
uh, conceived because I've never seen anyone do it that way before. You know, Mm -hmm. usually you'll go back to the actor again and then in the credits, it'll be like, Oh, here was that footage that we copied, but to like have the setup be the actor and the payoff be the real thing. I thought was, was really inspired. And you're right. It's a, it's a moment of being jarred or shocked into, uh, a realization that I, that I think the, the movie does very well. Yeah, I agree. And uh, all that closing text, I thought just... Uh, and, and the thing is, Jeff, uh, usually uh, when a movie like this ends, it's like, and here's the pe- the real life people it was based off of. Like, that's right. usually, you see like a Polaroid of the real person, yeah. like juxtapo- and it has become so cliche. And the way this movie did it, I just felt was so... It, I didn't see it coming. You know, I didn't yeah. I didn't understand that that's what the movie was doing. And when it hits, uh, it is like an emotional gut punch. It's really powerful. And, and that's the moment, too, where I, for the first time, and again, this is my ignorance, but I, for the first time, see at the time of his death, Fred Hampton was 21 years old. I went, what? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, th- that was a shocking moment for me as well. Yeah, yeah for sure. Because yeah. you, you get you. I mean, unfortunately, the movie doesn't really give you a sense of that, but it is. It's a, it's quite a staggering realization at the end. You're like, that guy was 21? Somebody should have just said that. Like, you're 20 years old, Fred. How are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. Something. Something. Yeah. I hosted a, um, a watch-along on my Patreon page for this movie, and one of the people who attended said... Uh, made the comparison to, like, Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, and how, like, yeah. how this country treats... Uh, young white men versus young black men you know i i think as far as i know like people don't even know where that dude is yeah we don't and, know where he is um oh, amazing and like the amazing. entire you know fbi's resources were being brought to bear to bring fred hampton down um and it's like you know i understand they like have done different things you know like it's not like they're they're necessarily comparable in terms of um why they might be uh you know subject to the laws of our land but uh, it still is yeah. striking the different. Like if you if you found a different, uh, an analog comparison, you know, I think it would be still striking. Like how different it is, and I mean, what? Like li- listen, like Dave, we're talking about this movie after people invaded the Capitol building. <laughs> you know, cops were killed and maimed. People were killed. Yeah, those people just walked out, and some of them got arrested. But you look at the way the cops have been treating folks. The uh, the Viking guy who keeps being in the news um he got his vegan food right or he stopped eating he got his vegan food because he really wanted it the other there there's somebody who's i believe their trial was delayed well we also got we also had a president that was acquitted this week as well yeah that's pretty great it's it's it's, uh movies like this raise the question of who faces consequences in this country um and it's uh it's sobering sobering to think about and i appreciate the way the movie raises this topic so uh anyway i think we're we're wrapping up here but valerie curious if you have any other thoughts on the movie or anything we didn't get to um overall it sounds like you do recommend it yes yeah i i definitely recommend it even if you know just for you know as a film you know the technical aspects like shaka king is extremely talented Mm. and I'd like to see him do more work of this caliber. I'd also like to see him write a little bit more. The acting, I think, is on point. I think this is a full, you know, Daniel Kaluuya is, of course, a standout, but I think it's a full ensemble of everybody being actually really good, uh, which is rare. Um, uh, It's not too long. 
actually, I think that's a big thing for me. It mm-hmm. When films feel like they're dragging and it's tedious to get through, I, I can't stand that. But it actually, I think it moves along pretty quickly, uh, which is also to its detriment. But I think overall, I definitely recommend people at least see it uh, to give themselves an idea. Uh, I don't think people need to know or see that the FBI is fucking trash. Excuse me. Um, they, <laughs> I mean, fair, I think, fair. You know, they don't, I don't think they need a film to, to show them that, but I think it's good. But, to, but it does do that. It does a good job of doing that. Though, right? I, don't say that and, like, I do think some people may need that. Like here's the, like <laughs> if you if you've been reading the news and you're up in your history, like you may have a sense of how evil the early FBI was, but I, I, a lot of people don't, and a lot of people grew up watching the X Files and all the cool '90s FBI stuff, uh, like Silence of the Lambs. So it's like they have a good PR, you know they, they they've had good PR for many many years, and the early stuff is kind of forgotten unless it affected you. We well, just had a see, new show, Clarice. The new show about Clarice Starling has just hit the airwaves as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They anyway. they really like to romanticize the FBI, mm-hmm. and I can tell you, I, I, listen, I'm a child of the '80s, right? I was born in '83, and my mom used to be in the Black Panther uh, chapter in New York City. Uh, she sort of joined at the very tail end of the movement. Well, the way she explained it to me is. By the time she became a member, the FBI had already pumped crack cocaine into the into the ghetto. Mm. And, um, you know, the Black Panthers had been sort of demoralized and disbanded all, you know, all but disbanded by that time. And, you know, with the coupling of of, you know, the the, the pressure of the FBI, uh, continued policing and drugs, it just sort of fizzled out they they didn't have a chance it seems like um you know with all the things stacked against it so i really do give the film credit for showing the real raw like this is absolutely the fbi and this is what they really are like Mm -hmm. Mm. so yeah all right well i think that's gonna take us to the end of our review of Judas and the Black Messiah, which, by the way, I also want to mention, uh, you know, Jeff Kanata, you and I have spoken about name movie names in the past. I thought this is mm. a pretty amazing what movie. What a title. Incredible. What a title. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. It's yeah. just like, yeah, it, it's so evocative and it demands attention. You're like, mm. you're, what, is, what is he talking about? Who are these? Who is Judas? Who is the Black Messiah? I think mm-hmm. it's a great title. So We, we yeah, haven't mentioned, by the way, this movie started as a story treatment by the Lucas Brothers, of yeah. all people. Like in insane. Those guys I know from the comedy specials, you know, and you see them on YouTube all the time. But Kenneth and Keith Lucas, like uh, they're credited as story writers. Uh, they didn't work on the screenplay, but they did start this first treatment. And it's kind of incredible to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, former Slash Filmcast guest Robert Daniels actually did a great interview with them over at Vulture.com. I, I read it. I really found it to be illuminating. I'd recommend checking that out. Um, okay, well, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Uh, check out his YouTube channel. And our weekly plugs music, as well as our email music bumper, come from Noah Ross and Thomas Medina. Uh, until next time, Valerie Complex, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Um, 
Well, you can, uh, you know, I post my stuff up on Twitter and you can find me at, you know, at Valerie Complex, all one word. Uh, I often also post on Instagram, which is the same. It's at Valerie underscore complex. And I post mostly, uh, you know, all my links and stuff are available on my website at ValerieComplex.com. It's all the same name. It's no <laughs> differentiation there. And, uh, but you can find my work at like the playlist, Variety, The Nerdist, IGN, you know, wherever you want to look, I probably wrote for them. <laughs> awesome. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for joining us today on the Slash Jumpcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me again. I can't wait to be back. Uh, hey. Same. All right. Uh, next week on the podcast, current plan is to review Nomadland. Nomadland, um, which I believe will be out on Hulu uh, on February 19th. So, uh, yeah, we're going to watch it on Hulu, talk about it here on the Slash Jumpcast. Should be an interesting conversation. Until next time, thanks for listening. We'll see you later. We watch the movies, flicks, 